guess I should turn that on for you so you can have some sound. But as we sing the third verse together, it fits so well with the message this morning. Standing on the promises I now can see, perfect present cleansing in the blood for me. Standing in the liberty where Christ makes free. We're standing on the promises of God. Let's sing that together. Amen. Standing on the promises I have. promises this morning and I hope you can see the liberty as we've already heard from our pastor this morning the liberty by which Christ makes free you know we this is uh, the remembrance day today and uh, so I I, uh, I was walking in a store the other day and there was a little woman with a tray she had these uh, poppies in the tray and I said I'm sorry I don't have any money to give you and she, I said, if I did, I would, and uh, give you a few little bits. And and uh, she said, well, just take one anyway, even it shows that you you support us. And I said, well, uh, I don't want to take anything for free. She says, no, no, no. She says, let me let me put one in your lapel. So she put one in my jacket. And so I thought the least I can do is wear it this morning. And in remembrance, you know, I went to the. Uh, I maybe say a little bit more about it later, not a whole lot, but uh, it kind of ties in with my message this morning. And I, I didn't realize it till yesterday. I was sitting at the table with my family. Sometimes I say, you know, we're sitting at the table talking and some of the brothers asked my daughter, what do you guys talk about at the table? And uh, I was, we were sitting at the table talking and my daughter asked me, she says, are, are you preaching on sacrifice tomorrow? I said, actually I am. And, and she said, well, well, because uh, it's Remembrance Day. And I said, oh, I didn't realize it was Remembrance Day on Sunday. I said, but it fits in with what the subject the Lord gave me for today, which I've been working on me for a couple weeks. So let's take our Bibles and turn together to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll also turn to Leviticus chapter 1. I was going to show you an update from Ethiopia, but I won't this morning, um, just to save a few moments. And... Uh, uh, but I will just give you a short testimony while you're turning in the scriptures. Uh, as you know, Brother Basabozi had to leave Ethiopia, though he's able to go back on a visitor visa from time to time. And he'll be going back actually next week uh, to visit the church in Ethiopia from Uganda. But while he's been out of the country, Brother Mogus has, has kind of... Uh, taken the reins and and uh, officially he's the uh, assistant pastor there and uh, of the little church in the capital city of Addis Ababa and if you remember in Ethiopia there was no Ethiopian church before this little group sprung up uh, there were uh, we found out later a few other believers in the country but as far as an Ethiopian church and so we can say that the first Ethiopian 
ministers of this message have sprung from that church. And, and Brother Mogus himself ministering, uh, God is really blessing them now there under his ministry. And in the last three weeks, eight people have been baptized. <laughs> Praise be to God. And so God is moving in there in the little church. And it might not be the hundreds of Uganda, but, uh, you know, there's 700 or so message churches in Uganda. There's one in Ethiopia uh, that, that is an Ethiopian church in Ethiopia. I think there's another expatriate church of people that are in the country from other countries. But this is the Ethiopian church there. And God is blessing the Ethiopian ministry to the Ethiopian people. And that's the purpose, you know. God leads you to the right individual and God begins to pour out and bless to that country. And so remember the country of Ethiopia in your prayers as well. Uh, Brother Stephen Ibali also sends his greetings uh, in Uganda. He always sends me an update pretty much almost every week uh, telling me of all the baptisms that have taken place and and uh, and how that he says he said this week he says wherever we go we can never take enough books they're always all gone and and so uh church age books and I, I tell you that if if we were selling them which we're not we're giving them away but if we were selling the church age book they would be the hottest selling book in Uganda right now <laughs> you know, they're just going off off the shelves, so to speak, like hotcakes. Everybody wants them and everybody's feeding on them. I say, praise the Lord. It's a wonderful testimony. The word is reaching the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're so thankful to be a part of that. So let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer this morning. We've already prayed. Brother Mark has prayed. And we want to approach the Lord now. Because without Him, we can do nothing. If you have a need, you just hold that before Him. Heavenly Father, we're so glad that we can call You our Father. You're not a distant God, but You said wherever two or three are gathered, You're here in the midst of us, Lord. We don't want You just to be in the midst of us, Lord. We don't want You, Lord, to be the unwelcomed guest like You were in the Bible. But we want to bow in your presence and, Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you. Lord, you alone are the word that is sharper than the two-edged sword, Lord. You're able to come to each individual heart, discerning each situation, knowing each one, Father, that is present, knowing them individually. There's nothing too little but what you know about it, Lord. There's no individual that is too unimportant but what you would go to them in a moment, like you went to the woman at the well, like you went to different ones, oh God, that seemed like society had written off, but you went by their way. And you ministered the word of life that changed their lives forever. And Lord, we pray that you'll come this morning. Let it not be the words of a man. But Lord, may you take whatever little notes we might have, whatever thoughts we have studied, whatever things we have looked at. Now we lay them all at your feet. And we say, Lord God, everything is under your control now. May you just take your divine control over this service and direct it the way that it should go for your glory. We'll give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Hebrews chapter 11. 
And we'll read just one verse here. Verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Amen. Let's go over to Leviticus chapter 1. Right at the very beginning of the laws, the Levitical laws, as God begin to lay out worship and church order and everything to Israel. And right in chapter 1 and verse 1, and it says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring a burnt offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Amen. The Lord add his blessing to the word. You may be seated. I want to speak this morning on the presentation of our sacrifice. Just simply calling it the presentation. As God to Israel now. We're kind of jumping into the middle of God's plan of redemption. We could go back to uh, the beginning and talk about the book of Genesis and, and what God did in the garden, which we may do. But here as Israel had come out of Egypt, and God begins to instruct Moses now, because there'll be a need for the people to have a sacrifice at regular intervals because of their sinful nature and because of their sinful actions. And when they have a sacrifice to give before the Lord for their sins, this sacrifice will be without blemish. And that word without blemish also means it will be perfect or it will be complete. It will not be immature. It will not be deformed. It will not be faulty in any way. It will be an animal that is chosen out of the flock. It will not be a lesser one. It will not be one that maybe you don't want or one that is not considered as good as the others. No, you'll take one of the best. And you'll take that as a sacrifice unto the Lord, and it will require that. And he says, and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. In other words, there is an ex- a sacrifice that is right in the sight of God, and there is a sacrifice that is not acceptable. All right, so by by God specifying here that it is very specific and that it must be without blemish, he's saying there are some things that you might bring to me if you so chose to do that, but I'm warning you, not everything is acceptable to me as a sacrifice. All right, so it's up to you to make sure that you are identified with the right kind of sacrifice. 
That's what he's saying. It's your choice. You choose it out of the flock, but this is the sacrifice that you're going to be identified with, and you want to make sure that it is an acceptable sacrifice. You know, the same holds true throughout all of history. When you stand before God, you don't just want a sacrifice. You want to make sure that you are identified with an acceptable sacrifice. God says to Israel in Deuteronomy in chapter 18, he says, as he describes the abominations that are in the land, and he says, for all that do these things, and the things that he describes in Deuteronomy 18, you can read them later, but he says, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations... The Lord thy God shall drive them out before you. Alright? And then he makes a statement. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. Alright? So now we read about a perfect sacrifice. But now God takes it further and says, Your actions are important to me. In that, I want you to be perfect before me. And... And this word perfect here, and, and if we look at it just in the common English use of the word perfect, we would tremble at that because we'd say, who can, who can answer or who can fulfill that scripture? Who can stand before God and say, I'm perfect? Who can stand there and say, Lord, I've done nothing wrong. We all, uh, are at fault. Hello? We are all, we all, we might say, have blemish. And we, none of us can make the required sacrifice of our own selves before the Lord. Even though the, the Bible says that I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord. And so there's a requirement, even as Jesus said in Matthew, as he declared at the Sermon of the Mount, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so there's there's many ways in the Bible that the word perfect is used. And, and if we look at it in the wrong way, we're going to be condemned. But if we look at it in the right way, we're going to be liberated. Joshua calls the people together in Joshua chapter 24. It's a very interesting chapter as Joshua comes to the end of his ministry. And he's he's gathering the people together. It's actually, it's a presentation, which is my subject. I haven't got to the subject yet. But it's a presentation. That's Joshua in 24 and verse 1 says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. And called the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And then it says, and they presented themselves before God. They presented themselves now before God. And that's the subject where I'm going to. But now as he begins to talk to the people, he said, and he says in verse 14 of chapter 24, he says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Now we can take that word sincerity in the English uh, as being uh, a good word because it's not as heavy as perfect, but in the Hebrew it's actually the same word. Serve God without blemish and in truth. Serve God perfectly and in truth. 
He says, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers. Now here's, here's the choice that Joshua is making as we're coming to our subject. And he says, now choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Stop there. He said, these people, because of their abominations, I'm driving them out before you. They had gods. They had forms of worship. They were not found perfect in my sight, and therefore I drive them out. They're found to be an abomination in my sight. Listen, don't think that there's not consequences to actions. Even for unbelievers, there's consequences to actions. And and as the Bible says, you reap what you sow. And and even if we, you know, we, we feel like, oh, God is a God of grace and God is a God of love. Yes, he is. But he's also a God of truth and a God of justice. And as Brother Branham said, if he lets this generation get by with the things that they do, he will have to raise up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize to them. There are consequences. And so Joshua says to Israel, choose you this day whom you will serve. Now they've been through the conquering times of the book of Joshua. They've they've conquered the land, but they haven't possessed all of it. And so that just reminds me of the message. The message conquers all things, but you need to possess all of it. You know, when Joshua brought the people into the land and led them in battle and vanquished all the enemies, and here they come to the end of his ministry. Moses brought them up to the land, but Joshua brought them into the land to place them in the land. Now they've won every battle. They've vanquished every enemy. Nobody can stand before them. Just exactly what God promised them. Nobody will stand before you. Wherever your footsteps tread upon, that's land I give you. Amen. And they walked in that revelation, but they come to the end of Joshua's ministry and said, now we fought the fights. We've been victorious, but there's still much land to possess. This is your inheritance. But do you really understand there's more of your inheritance that you can possess? It's vanquished. The lamb has taken the book. He's opened the book. The mysteries have been revealed, but there's much there still for us to possess. It's not my subject, but it's my inspiration right now. Amen. We can't just lay back and say, oh, well, we're victorious. Praise the Lord. We're in the message. No, possess the land. We've been brought into the land. Praise God. They were brought into the land, but possess all of it. Amen. There might be inhabitants on the corners of it. Possess every corner. Possess every part. Be fully fruitful in the word that has been brought to us. Possess the vineyards. Possess the cornfields. Possess the wheat and the barley. Possess the mountains. Possess the valleys. Possess the cities. Possess the towns. Hallelujah. And you realize it took until David to do that. Because... Jerusalem was not possessed until David came on the scene and took the city. Four hundred more years and they were still possessing the land. Lord, may it not take us that long. Amen. We have a message. Our message is not another denomination. 
All right, I'm, I'm already off my notes. Our message is not a denomination. Our message is not some kind of man-made idea. Our message is not just a, a, a glorified Pentecostal revival. Brother Branham said, Luther couldn't produce this. Wesley couldn't produce this. And furthermore, he said, Pentecost couldn't produce this. It will take a furtherance. And God opened the word. Why? Because he had to reveal the full mystery. Because revelation brings faith. Faith only comes by the word. And perfect faith only comes by the perfect word. And so there had to come a full revelation of the word to the bride of Jesus Christ to allow us to possess all of it. And we're here. Hallelujah. It's not just a church service. And I'm talking about, I know you know that this isn't just a church service. Well, what I'm saying, it's a life. It's the fullness of the plan of redemption. It's the revelation of the sons of God. It's the manifestation that all creation has been waiting for right now, laying within the revelation of the word of God to produce God's attributes in the channel they were meant to be in. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm here to say, praise God, we're here. Possess all of it. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Present yourself before God. As you come to service and we come into that kind of an atmosphere, why are we here to present ourselves before God? You'll understand it more when we're done. But we've come to present ourselves before God. And sometimes somebody has to stand up and say, choose you who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the denominational ideas that have been proven to be false? What denominational ideas? Oh, every, oh denominational ideas. Oh, everybody's going to be saved. I'm sorry. That's false. Not everybody's going to be saved. As much as it grieves me and it grieves God. He's not willing that any would perish. And he's long suffering. Here we are in 2018 proving he's long suffering. Waiting, uh, allowing until every last one that will receive the word will receive it and be quickened by it. Amen. But we're here presenting ourselves before God. And I don't want to get too much on the worldwide scale. I want to get it right down to the individual level. Say, I want you individually, when you come to church, realize that I'm presenting myself before God. It's a solemn moment. But Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day. David, the great king, could not stand before the Lord as though he had never made a mistake. Amen? None of us here could. There ought to have been a louder amen than that. You know, I'll, I'll come to that. We, we sometimes have to realize what we are presenting before the Lord. And David, as he stood before the Lord, though he had made mistakes in his life, But he always kept himself in the recognition that God's way is perfect. No matter what I am, God's way is perfect. 
No matter what I've done, he's never made a mistake. You know, that, that, in that statement alone, eliminates a lot of grief. If a person can come before the God, and that's why a per, a people in the hardship uh, of life, and when things go different than the way they expect that they should go, that's why they often become distant from God, as though God made a mistake in allowing such and such a thing to happen. But David, in all of his ways, had to admit God's way is perfect. I'm the one that makes mistakes. I'm the one that don't understand. I'm the one that may not see the full picture. I'm that person. My my understanding is incomplete, but his ways are perfect. Amen. And David said in 2 Samuel 22, he says it this way. He says, I was also upright before him. And have kept myself from mine iniquity. And then he says, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. Now the word upright, as he says, I was upright. And he says, with the upright man, God shows himself upright. That word upright is again that word without blemish. So that's a strong statement to, for David to make about himself. He said, but he says, but as for God, then he uses this word with God and it, English translated, translated, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust him. And then he says, God, now here's the key. God is my strength. And my power. In other words, whatever I have, I don't count it as being my strength and my power. My intelligence, my talents, my gifts, my ability, my fervor, my zeal, all of those things, David said, I don't include that in the picture, but God is my strength. God is my power. And then he says, he maketh my way perfect. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that this morning? That's the word of the Lord. In Psalms chapter 25, I always, I always marvel at this scripture. Matter of fact, I always ponder it and pray about it. And David says, let integrity, and that's that same word again in another form of without blemish. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. For I wait upon thee. So this thought, as David is conveying of his own perfection, and, and you're, I'm glad you're listening because you're, you're studiously listening. But he's actually not making it about his actions. He's making these statements about his heart. His heart is right before God. Thy word have I hid in my heart. That I might not sin against you. Regardless of all the mistakes that uh, he makes. He says, in Psalms 101, says, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. 
And so he's describing this perfection as not being one. He's not going to God and said, I did this right, and I did that right, and I did that right, and I did that right, and therefore you owe me something. He never went to God like that. He says, Lord, let integrity the inside. Let uprightness preserve me. I will walk in my house before God with a perfect heart. Not necessarily a perfect action. Because it was David while he was in his house that he spied Bathsheba. And fell in sin, inviting her into his house. And fell away from God. But yet even in the midst of that great trial, uh, that great problem in his life, that great error... As when the word of God comes to him, I love David, when the word of God comes to him and says, you have done wrong, you have taken another man's wife, you have sinned, and all of these things, he's king, he could have said anything he wanted, and what he said was, you're right, and I'm wrong. When his sin was exposed, he confessed, God's ways are perfect. Even though I am full of mistakes, even though I have problems, even though I am shaped in iniquity, even though I am born in sin, even though I have all kinds of issues in my life, but I confess God's way is perfect. And furthermore, when the prophet said, listen, you, God gives you three choices of what, how, how God will punish you. David even further throws himself on the perfectness of God. And he says, I don't know what to choose. Let God choose. Because his way is perfect. All I can say is, please don't let me fall into the hands of man. Amen. God, your ways are perfect. You choose the right punishment for me. Amen. David walked before God with a perfect heart. That's why God said he's a man after my own heart. And God had had a great respect to David. And this is, this is, as this picture develops, are you still with me? As this picture develops now, excuse me for just ministering it this way, I gotta minister it the way it came to me. The, in this lies now, we've come to the problem of the Pharisees. And the, what they got swallowed up in, because they tried to make their actions perfect instead of their heart. And they tried by the law to obey the letter of the law. And as even as Paul said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Concerning the law, I was blameless. In other words, his actions were according to the letter of the law. But God never looked at that and said, that's perfect. God never looked at it that way. But rather, in Matthew 15, Jesus said, quoting out of Isaiah, he says, well, says the scripture, these people, this people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. All right, now remember, I'm not talking about 2,000 years ago or 3,500 years ago or back in Israel or back in, in the wilderness or back in another time. I'm talking about today. You know, we have to guard ourselves because there is a, a framework within this message that will, that will lend itself to legalism. 
Because God is a holy God. And there are people that maybe are more zealous than others. And there are people that are more fervent than others. And there are people that in their own flesh are more able than others to obey the letter of the word. But that's not the message. It's not drawing nigh to him with your works. It's drawing nigh to him with your heart. That and that alone is acceptable to God. It's being in love with him. As Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, with all thy might, with all thy heart, with all thy mind. It's being in love with Him and constantly in love with Him every day, every week, every moment, all the days ending in Y and every other day too. Just loving God every time that you think about Him. Not looking at God and say, oh, I got to do this or I got to do that. No, it's looking at God and say, oh, I'm so glad he loves me. I'm so thankful he blesses me. I'm so glad that he's watching over me. I may not be what I want to be, but I know I'm not what I used to be. Amen. There's something that took place in my life and I'm just in love with God every day of my life. That's got to come from my heart, not from my flesh. Not I'm a perfect message believer. Uh, there's a reason I'm saying this. I'll come to it in a moment here. I'm not a perfect message believer. I, I, I tithe of everything that I own. I thank God that I come to church every service. And that I'm there all the time. And I never fall asleep in church like some of the others do. Amen. And I shout better than everybody else. Or I do this. Or I do that. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm in every service just the way. When I when the preacher looks at me, I'm just right there. Everything like that. But how's your heart towards God? Oh, my. I hope this is all right this morning. How are you doing? Are you in love with God this morning? Did you come to church and say, I don't care who's preaching because I love God. That might stumble a lot of us because we all got favorite preachers. That's my favorite preacher sitting over here. I wish he'd preach more. But yet in all of that, I realize he's getting up there in years and he doesn't have the strength and he doesn't have the stamina. And I thought, oh God, what are we going to do without him? I'm sorry. Excuse me. I don't mean you're leaving. I just mean, you know, what are we going to do without his preaching? You know, I just love it. I love how it brings me to God. It doesn't bring me to my own perfection. It brings me to the perfect one. It brings me to the one that I'm identified with. It brings me to my sacrifice. It brings me to him. And I thought, oh, Lord, let us preach like that. Let us not preach as though it's all. Listen, there's got to be standards in the word. Don't get me wrong. There's standards. There's doctrines. There's doctrines. The doctrine is the backbone of the church. There's rights and there's wrongs. But the rights and wrongs are by the conviction of the heart. If it's just by the outer man, then it becomes of no avail. Oh, Lord, help us that we never walk in line with the word to please the preacher. But we walk in line with the word to please God. I think every preacher would say amen to that. That's that's our desire as ministers. Hallelujah. See, the Pharisees had come to the place that they were as perfect as they could get in their actions, but in their heart they were so blemished. They were so blemished. 
And along comes the perfect Lamb of God. The perfect Lamb. And what did He do? He tore their churches up. He tore up their teachings. In vain do you worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They would say it's written, and he would say, but it's also written. And they would accuse him of this and of that, and he would show them in the word that what he was doing was legitimate, because he was the word. And they had their ideas, so they had it all fit together of how they could present themselves before God, and they would, but they would even take and stone someone for wrong outward actions, even wanting to kill Jesus for transgressing their interpretation of the law. But when the Lamb of God looked at a woman like the Sumerian woman at the well, he saw Perfection inside of her. Not on the outside. But he could see down into her soul. That there was a predestinated seed gene there. And if I can just get the word to that seed gene, it will change her life. Amen. If I can, you know, they accused him of eating with publicans and sinners and he goes into the house of Zacchaeus and what he saw in Zacchaeus was righteousness in potential form. A seed that was laying in the heart that was waiting to be quickened under the right circumstances. And if he could bring about the right circumstances, that man will be changed. And he sat there at lunch with Jesus and over a lunch... Sometimes you wonder why the ministers go for lunch with people. Over a lunch, Zacchaeus was changed. His life was transformed. He says, Lord, this day I'm a changed man. If I've wronged anybody, I'll repay it four times. I'll do anything that it takes to make it right. It wasn't a law that made him do that. It was a quickening of the sea gene on the inside of the inside. His heart became right before God. And now because the heart became right, the actions begin to come right. Amen. Something the law could never do for him. You know, he would look at the law, no doubt Zacchaeus would look at the law and goes, No hope for me. I just can't do it. I just can't live that kind of a life. Ever, ever felt that way? I, I just can't do it. I, I'm sorry. I just, it's not in me. I guess it's just not in me. But it was in him. Hallelujah. It was in him. I've tried. I've tried. Listen, I've tried. Brother Bram talks about his wife, called her Rebecca. Takes it from the Prince of the House of David story. If you've never read the book, it's a good book to read. Brother Bram takes many stories out of that book. And he, he, he talks about his wife, Rebecca. And he says, you know, Rebecca was a real believer. She was praying for her husband. And, and one day, Jesus came by his way. But no doubt Zacchaeus, you know, he said to his wife, Look, you go ahead and live it. I just can't live it. I'm sorry. It's just not in me to live it. But it was in him. Hello? But it was in him. He just needed the word to come to his heart. He just needed the supernatural one to speak the right thing that would germatize that predestinated seed and bring it to life. He didn't need old Pharisee coming around telling him, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong and you're doing this wrong. Let's not be Pharisees, folks. I don't mean this to be hard hitting, but this can be hard hitting sometimes. Let's not be Pharisees. 
Let's not be ones that are critical of everybody else and say they're doing, they're not living this right, they're not living that right. Well, be the one that will take the word. That will change them from the inside of the inside. Now we could deal with that on very many different levels, but I want to go with the Pharisees a little bit further here. The Pharisees had the presentation of Cain in the outside of the Garden of Eden. Cain set in array every sort of natural thing, every uh, flower or vegetables or whatever it was, the fruits of the field that he offered to God. No doubt it was beautiful. No doubt it was well presented. No doubt he was sincere, but it was completely wrong. He had, he tried to put on, they tried to put on a good face. They tried to have the outward appearance in that they, they try to say on the outside, everything's in control. But the revelation of Abel was greater than that of Cain. Alright, by faith or by revelation, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. And the revelation of Abel was that he had nothing to give God. Nothing that he could do could ever suffice to atone for his sins. I'm sorry, I don't have anything to offer you God, but I'll take one of your animals. A blood sacrifice because it's revealed to me that that's what it was in the beginning, a blood sin. And now I offer that unto you as a blood, a perfect, without blemish sacrifice unto you as a revelation, as showing my revelation that I cannot offer anything, but I'm identified with the life of this innocent animal that I might stand before you and worship you. And God come down and accepted the sacrifice of Abel as a correct sacrifice. Nothing in it. Just like Adam and Eve had no answer for their sin. We have no answer for our nature. We have only one thing that can change our nature and that's the blood. And the new birth that comes by the life that came by the blood. That comes to us and changes us. We have nothing else to offer this morning. This might be simple, but it's true. We have nothing else to offer this morning. Just the blood. I have nothing to bring to God. Oh God, I studied all week. I worked hard. I labored in the word. I read thousands of quotes. I didn't read thousands. Okay. But I read hundreds of quotes. I read scriptures. I studied. I put these things together. I got it all here. These are the labors. And when I come to the altar, it's Lord, I got nothing to present. My works don't present anything. I've done what I can do, but I'm only claiming the blood this morning. That's the only thing that I'm identified with. I'm not identified with my own efforts. I'm not identified with my own labors, though there are my own efforts and my own labors. But when I come into the presence of God, there's only one thing I identify with, and that's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me this morning? You see, I'm trying to take all of our own works out of it. Take it out of the picture. You say, oh, Brother Tim, does that mean we don't work? Well, we'll come to that. But there's something that we have to realize where we're standing. Brother Branham says in recognizing your day and its message, it's time to shake ourselves and examine ourselves and see where we are standing. This is a quote that was read recently by somebody. I don't know if it's Brother John or Brother Tom. He says, because death doesn't change it. He says this here, he says, he talks about Moses and Elijah and he says they return with the same nature and do the same thing. 
He said, death doesn't do nothing to a man but change his dwelling place. It doesn't change your nature. It doesn't change your faith. It doesn't change nothing in you but your dwelling place. If you're a doubter of God's word here, you're a doubter over there. He says, I don't care how holy, listen, I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how you live and how good you live. It wouldn't change you one bit to die, just your dwelling place. And if you can't accept the whole word of God the way it's written, you wouldn't do it there. So it's not works. It's faith in the revealed word of the hour. Hallelujah. Are you still with me? Now in Job, I love Job. In Job, which I understand is the oldest book in the Bible by um, the time it was written, was written before Moses wrote his books, I understand. I don't know if they know that to be the fact, but that's the understanding. I asked a brother recently, a minister that I highly regard, and I said, was the book of Job written before the flood or after the flood? And he said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either. And I said, just the way it's written, seems like it could be before the flood. But some things that Brother Bradham says makes it look like it's after the flood. All of that's not really relevant. But the point I'm making is that is because that it says in a couple of places, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And the term sons of God was a term used before the flood, more than after the flood. But nevertheless, whether it was before or after, it's, it's now saying that there was a gathering of the sons of God. Just like Joshua gathered the children of Israel together to present themselves before God. And here the sons of God were standing before God and God come down in the midst of them. And there also was um, Job was in the midst of them. And there also was the devil. Just like he's here this morning. Now, he's not omnipresent like God is. So maybe he sent one of his lackeys to be here this morning or some of his lackeys. And they're here whispering to you saying, you know, what about this? What about that? There's anything that comes against the word of God into your mind came from the devil. All right. And so now as they're sitting there, sitting or standing, I don't know. They're presenting themselves before God. We'll say they were sitting. And as they're sitting there, maybe somebody's preaching. Maybe they're singing a song. But whatever it is, they're presenting themselves before God. And God says to the devil, because he's here this morning too, that the Lord is here. And he says to the devil, now have you considered my servant Job a perfect man? Now God is ascribing perfection to Job. Now what was Job's identification? As the sons of God came to gather together, we find Brother Branham saying many places in the message and bringing our attention to it, that Job had faith in the provided sacrifice. 
That's how he was presenting himself before God. Not I have done this or I have done that. Let me read uh, to you one statement. Brother Brown says, he says, I imagine Job thought, oh, I'm so happy because I've offered the sacrifice for them. Speaking of his children. Because I presented them before God through the shed blood of the Lamb. Through God's provided way of redemption for my children. So now this Job was sitting in the congregation of the sons of God before God. As God began to have a conversation with the devil now and say, consider Job who's perfect. Why is he perfect? Because he stood unabashedly on God's provided sacrifice. Amen. He didn't come to church saying, I've done this or I've done that or this is what it's all about or I'm a perfect Christian or, of course, not Christian that day, but perfect believer and all those sorts of things. No, Job stood in that day saying, I am so happy I have made the provided sacrifice. Amen. I'm so happy I am identified in God's provided way. And Job stood in this place of perfection because he stood there by revelation. Amen. He says, I know where I'm standing. I know I've made, and then, and then of course the, the trials happen in his life. And the comforters come and say, well we know God doesn't judge a perfect man like this. Well God said he was perfect. So they were wrong. Well we know God, uh, we know you had to do something wrong in your life. See now they were looking at outward circumstances. They were looking at actions. Job, you must have done something wrong. Job, you must have said something wrong. Job, you must have done this or done that. Even his wife said, listen, why don't you just say something wrong and die? Why don't you curse God and die? But Job held the integrity of his heart. He stood before God saying, Lord, I know I've made the provided sacrifice. I know I'm standing true. Bright, sunny days are not signs of God's approval. And cloudy days are not signs of God's disapproval. I know where I'm standing. And I have presented myself before God in that place. And that is the place that is under the blood. In the blood of the sacrifice alone I stand. And I will stay here. And they accused him this way. And they accused him that way. But he stood there. He says, I know where I'm standing. I have to answer for my life. I can't live my life to please my comforters. I live my life to be pleasing to God. I look at God speaking about Noah, speaking about Abraham the same way. Bible says Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. Why? He stood with the word of God. We find Abraham, 90 years old and nine. God says to Abram, I'm the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Oh my, if we had time to go through it, how that Abraham, God had to lead him to that perfection. What was that perfection? I'll just sum it up here for you. I don't have time to go into it. But, you know, when you look at Abraham's life, how he came out of Ur. I love it. I love Abraham's life. How he came out of her. God says, I'm going to take you to a place I'm going to show you. Now, come out of her. And he brings Lot. And he brings his uncle. And, and God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. But he brought him anyway. And then God says, 
uh, you know, I'm going to give you this land. And finally, Abraham separates from Lot and God promises him. All right. Now look north, south, east and west. He says, I give you this land. All right. So Abraham's looking at that. And then the next chapter, God begins to deal with him or not the next chapter. But after after the battle, God begins to deal with him. And as he begins to deal with him, there's Abraham in his walk with God. And God says, Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you. And he says, wherewith shall I know that you'll give it to me? And God says, now take these animals and make this provided sacrifice. And I'll show you in the sacrifice that I'm with you. And God revealed himself to Abraham in the sacrifice as he stood between the two pieces, which was a sign of a covenant in those days. And, and how that they would that would be like shaking hands or signing a contract in this day. But in those days, it was standing between two pieces of an animal that would say, now be it unto us according to this animal if we don't keep this covenant. And so that was the way they would make it. But God set Abraham to the side and says, I'll stand between the animals. In other words, be it unto me if I don't keep my word. So God says it's a one-sided covenant. It's a grace covenant with Abraham. And so God deals with him in that way. And, and then Abraham, a little while later, says, oh, God, I don't have a son. And, and then, oh, God, this. And, oh, God, that God speaks to him. But Abraham says, what about this? And then God says, walk before me and be perfect. See, God's de- working on Abraham's attitude towards the word. And then finally, God comes down and says, now, Abraham... I want you to go offer your son Isaac. God's leading him to something throughout his life. And it's not to sacrifice his son. It's to walk in perfect obedience to the word. And God says to Abraham, now, now Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And Abraham simply said, actually he doesn't say anything in the scripture. He just does it. Now there's no argument. Now there's nothing of his own self. It's just God said it. I recognize God spoke to me. I must walk in obedience to his word. What was it? Perfection. That's what God calls perfection. I speak to my children and they respond. There's something in their hearts that is equipped when I speak my word. It quickens them. I know when I speak to Job, he just follows my word. I know when I speak to Noah, he just follows my word. This is a perfect man. That is a perfect man. This is a perfect woman. That's a perfect man. Because I reveal my word to them and they say, yes, Lord. I tell them, I don't like this in your life. And they say, yes, Lord. I tell them, I'd rather you did it this way. And they say, yes, Lord. I send my prophet in those last days and he reveals the mysteries that I've been hiding and I show my bride my mysteries and they read those mysteries and they say, that's my Lord. Not just that's my prophet because that's just a man, but that's my Lord speaking through his prophet. That's my God revealing himself to me. That's my God making known his ways to me personally that I might walk before him and be perfect. Hallelujah. Oh, I love Abraham. Walk before me and be thou perfect. They were walking by the revelation that Abel had. Who offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. 
And were willing to present that before God as their only means of redemption. So in Israel, when we come to Leviticus, we know that their stand in Israel was by the revelation of the word that was given to Moses. Are you still with me? All right. God said, when you come to this tabernacle, there must be a correct sacrifice. And you must be identified with that sacrifice. It must be a lamb without blemish, or whatever animal it is must be without blemish. Just like in the Exodus, as he spoke to them in Exodus 12, he says, your lamb shall be without blemish. It's the first time God uses the word without blemish pertaining to a sacrifice. And so as he begins to describe that, because it was a foreshadowing, especially in Exodus 12, where he says, you'll take this lamb out from the flock on the 10th day. You'll keep it amongst you for four days in an examination that this lamb is indeed without blemish. And it was a type of Jesus Christ and his trial, how that he would be kept up and be identified as the lamb of God without blemish. And so when John the Baptist, oh, I love this. When John the Baptist, as he stood on the riverbank, John the Baptist, a dynamic preacher, didn't ever record any miracles. So it wasn't the miracles that attracted the attention of the people necessarily. But John and his dynamic preaching began to preach repentance in Israel. And the people begin to respond. And the people begin to be baptized. And, and I was, I don't know exactly what that baptism was doing for the people it was just a symbolic form it wasn't true baptism because in acts chapter 19 there were disciples of john that had been baptized and and paul came to them and said how were you baptized we were baptized by john and paul says well john baptized you unto repentance knowing that the sacrifice was to come but now the sacrifice has come you must be identified with your sacrifice you must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were rebaptized there in Acts chapter 19. I don't know who that's for, but you're welcome. And so then John the Baptist declaring Jesus Christ as he walked down there to the river. And he declared in front of his disciples and in front of the people, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In that simple statement, he's gathering together all the Old Testament foreshadowing. It must be a perfect lamb. It must be without blemish. It must be male. It must be kept up. It must be examined. In all of these things, but he just declares it in a statement, Behold the Lamb of God. Or in other words, he could have said, Watch perfection in action. Hallelujah. Just watch. This was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It was his time now and the sacrifice had to be washed. And Brother Branham says that's why Jesus was baptized. Because of course Jesus didn't need to be born again. He was born right the first time. He was, he was the, he was the spoken word of God born through the womb of a virgin. No part of Mary, no part of Joseph. He was the word of God birthed from a virgin. And he grew, and he grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature. And now is the time to be the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. As the prophet spoke, watch perfection in action now. 
Hallelujah. You watched it reflected in Abraham. You watched it reflected in Moses. You watched it reflected in the prophets. You watched it reflected in David, in different ones. But now, watch the perfect Lamb of God in action. Hallelujah. Oh, what an hour. Oh, I wish I was there. I wish I could have caught that revelation. This is the perfection of God. Let me just follow the perfection of God. In its simplicity. And in its humility. Overturning the tables of the money changers. The perfection of God in action. Rebuking the Pharisees. Perfection of God in action. Telling to the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Where's your accusers after they had all left? She says, he says, does, does not accuse, accuse you? She says, none, Lord. He says, neither do I. Perfection in action. Go your way and sin no more. Oh, Lord, give me a perfect heart like that. Not to be condemning. Not to be looking at actions and saying, that's not right, and that's not right, and that's not right. Hello? Am I the only one here? That feels that way. Oh God, give me a perfect heart. It comes to, to the, the, the hears of his friend Lazarus being sick and walks the other way. Perfection in action. Oh, goes and sits with Zacchaeus, sits with his disciples as they walk, eat with unwashed hands, goes through the fields and plucks ears of corn, goes through the fields and plucks ears of corn on somebody else's farm. Perfection in action. Glory. Oh, it's getting quieter all the time, Brother Ken. <laughs> perfection in action, folks. It doesn't look like what we call perfection. It's what God calls perfection. Going through every situation and saying just exactly the right thing. Going to the man that is born blind from birth. And spitting on the ground. Alright. Just had to do that for you. Unsanitize it for you. Make some mud out of the clay. Pick it up. Spit and dirt. Right in the eyes. Now go and wash. Perfection in action. Goes by the pool of Bethesda. All the sick people there. Here's perfection in action. Sir, I perceive you. Not all your friends. Not all your compatriots. Not everybody you've talked to. I perceive you have faith to be healed. Take up your bed and walk. And that one man walks out of there. And Jesus walks out of there. And all of those sick people are laying there. Perfection in action. God's perfection. On display in this earth. Not in a form. Beautiful. Handsome. Bible says no beauty that we should desire him. Eloquent. Well we could say never a man speak like this man. But I don't know about eloquence. But he said things. And he said did he make it easy on the people? He says you've heard thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say. Whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her. In his heart. Has committed adultery already with her. In his heart. Perfection in action. 
God's perfection moving amongst the people. As John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen. And the New Testament church from the day of Pentecost onward walked by that revelation that that was the perfect Lamb of God. That the blood that was shed at Calvary was nothing less than the blood of God himself. And the life that was loosed out of that blood was the life of God that came back on the day of Pentecost to come back into the church to bring the church to their perfection. And so we recognize in Him as our perfection. Recognizing by this revelation the insufficiency of works. Now we're getting right to where we want to get to this morning. You still with me? I won't be much longer. And the insufficiency, there's only one service today, by the way. So maybe I will be a little longer. All right. No service this evening. Brother John's going to Seattle. God bless Brother John. I won't, I'll try to make, get you there on time. All right. Praise the Lord. Are you still with me? I didn't see anybody walk out. Praise the Lord. Now, but in this revelation, if we recognize that as the perfection of God, then we also recognize the insufficiency of any of our own works. And this is the thought that I'm trying to convey this morning. Not just the insufficiency of natural lambs, because when Jesus died at Calvary, the natural lambs, the the paschal lamb as it's called, would have no, no effect anymore. Because the plan of redemption had moved into the tabernacle of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb of God. But even our own sacrifices that we make for God are nothing to be counted as worthy to gain anything from God. Because anything that we get from God has already been paid for at Calvary. It's not the blood and something you do. It's the blood alone. It's by grace alone are you saved. And that by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the blood that was shed at Calvary. Those are not, anything that we do of our own selves is not, uh, is not our, uh, labors, is not to gain something, but anything we do, uh, of our own is not to gain God's favor because God's favor is predestinated and unmerited. But anything that we do for God is out of love. Anything that we do for God is because of what He already did for us. Favor and grace is predestinated and unmerited. Even the law itself shows itself as insufficient and it shows man's inability to find God. And even Paul speaking to the Galatian church as he brought the word to them and it quickened their hearts and it changed their lives and they received the Holy Ghost. And then Paul says to the Galatians, Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set before you, crucified amongst you? In other words, what is Paul saying? He says, I have shown you the perfection of the Lamb of God. I have shown you the perfect sacrifice. And that has been your identification. He says, this only would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? He says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit that you're now made perfect by the flesh? And I guess if I had a theme this morning, it would say, oh, foolish message believers. 
Not all of you. But maybe there's one here that feels like, oh, I received the Holy Ghost and now I'm gaining favor with God by doing this or doing that or doing that. No, you already had favor before God. He slipped the wedding band of predestinated unmerited grace on your finger before the foundation of the world. You have as much favor with God as you'll ever have. Hallelujah. His grace is eternal. His love is eternal. Amen. And what he has for you cannot be added to. It's already infinite. Therefore, what you do for him is just out of love. Hallelujah. Many people, and I, I just, I really, God really dealt with me so on this. So let me just go down this road just for a moment. Let me just slow down for a minute. Speak to you just as a man, as an individual. Many times in life, we have mistakes of our past. All right. Things that we did or things that someone did for us or did to us rather. And because of those things, and I realize it'll get quiet in here, and I'll be careful not to look at any individual, because though I might not know anything, the whole you might think, I know something about you. And because of those things in our lives, oh, as sons and daughters of God, we wish we could undo that. Amen? Amen. We wish we could go back. And never have done that or never have had that happen to us. But it's left a scar in our life. And because of that scar, certain things trigger that. And it reminds us. But now let me just say a point. It reminds us of how insufficient we are. And that's a good thing. You say, is it a bad thing? I say it's a good thing. It reminds us that we can't undo that. And though we feel so grieved about our past, and many times a person will try, and and they'll go through life with such a heavy weight on their shoulders because of their past. I want to tell that person this morning, if there's one person, if there's one person here like that, I want to tell you, your sufficiency is not in anything you've done. Neither is it in anything that has happened to you. Your sufficiency is in a perfect lamb. Hallelujah. The devil will try and play on people's minds and tell them, you'll never be right. But God gave you a lamb. And because of that lamb, you can stand before God and say, I stand perfect this morning. I stand holy in his sight, not because of what happened back there, but because of the lamb. Hallelujah. I'm identified with my lamb. I did not come this morning to church to say, Lord, I'm sorry for this or I'm sorry for that, though we are sorry. But I came to church this morning to say, Lord, I'm presenting myself before you with the blood of a spotless lamb. There was a lamb that died for me. 
There was perfection that was opened up for me and the life of that perfection has come upon my life. Hallelujah. I can't help but cry and I can't help but rejoice because of the perfect Lamb of God. He's my identification and He has, He is all that I have to present to God. Hallelujah. Nothing of my own self. Oh, I don't know if I can, I can get the Holy Ghost. You can because of the Lamb. Oh, I don't know if I can attain this, this promise. You can because of a perfect lamb. It's not your own works. Just put your faith in that lamb. Put your identification in that lamb. Because of the sufficiency of that sacrifice, it makes our insufficiencies irrelevant. Hallelujah. Young person, it doesn't matter how insufficient you feel. It doesn't matter how much you feel like Zacchaeus that says, I just can't. I just can't. You just let Jesus come by your way. You just let him come to you and reveal himself to you personally. And you who thought you couldn't will become another quickened Zacchaeus. Oh, you might say, I have ruined my life, Brother Tim. I got scars in my past. You might feel like the woman at the well. That really, this natural life really has lost its meaning. Because really, I've just done too much. And I've made too many mistakes. You just let Jesus come by your way. You just invite the word into your life. And say, Lord, reveal the lamb to me personally. Hallelujah. Parents, grandparents, older person, younger person. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what has happened in your life. It doesn't matter what the Pharisee devil can point out saying, you did this and you did that and you did this and you did that. It doesn't make no difference because I'm not identified with any of those things. I'm identified with the lamb that was slain 2,000 years ago. I'm identified with the perfect sacrifice of God. Hallelujah. So Brother Branham says in perfection, he says, Then my salvation and yours tonight does not hinge upon the merits of our own acts. It hinged upon the positive sovereign grace of Almighty God who has chosen us in him. He says, Certainly I could never be perfect, nor you could never be perfect. And we don't claim to be perfect. But we have this one constellation, constellation that our faith rests in a perfect sacrifice that's already been received. Amen. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified. Rising, he showed this sacrifice is accepted. Rising, he justified us all because who he foreknew, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son and who he predestinated, them he called. And whom he called, what? He justified. When did he justify you? 2,000 years ago when he rose from the dead. God said it's over. Amen. Amen. Your price has been paid. There's a perfect sacrifice. And your revelation or your faith in that sacrifice is all that you have need of. 
Hallelujah. What a great sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice. When I use the term ultimate sacrifice, it means different things to different people. The ultimate sacrifice is defined as giving one's life in the military, which today, 100 years ago today, a word came from heaven that said, stop the four winds. On the 11th hour of the 11th day, that nobody knows what happened. But that's what they're commemorating today. Not just 100 years ago, the end of the war. 100 years ago, it was like God said, stop the winds. Until I've sealed my servants in their forehead. And over the last century, over the 20th century, they say between 100 and 150 million people have died as a result of war. Between 20 and 30 million soldiers have given their lives in wars of the 20th century. What a century. Pitiful. Today is Remembrance Day. You know, families lost sons and fathers. I'll never forget going to the cemetery in Holland, looking at the Canadian cemetery there with my children, going and visiting it and reading tombstone after tombstone, age 19, age 20, age 21, age 19, in the prime of their youth, cut down. I got nothing against those young men. They went innocently. They went with, you could say, fervor to protect the freedoms of their country. They gave what's called the ultimate sacrifice. No matter what problems we might have with the leadership, the motive of the wars, whatever else. But those young men that gave their lives, gave their all. They gave all they had for a country, for a cause. That we might have freedom, and uh, I'm not here to glorify them, but I know in places like Victory Day, Brother Branham talks about the military and how that he even wanted to be in the military, but they wouldn't allow that. And God had a way to keep him out of it. And so, but there's few of us now in this generation that understand what it means to lose a loved one like that. North America has been largely untouched by war for at least a generation. And uh, I don't mean there hasn't been excursions by the United States into different countries, but I'm talking about a war of conscription. I think since the Vietnam War, there hasn't really been one. And so to lose someone close to you is a huge sacrifice. A a brother, a sister, a mother, or a father, a husband or a wife. But Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's maybe where that statement comes from. That's the ultimate. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And if that's the ultimate, the greatest love, then I'll say that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was the ultimate of the ultimates. He wasn't just the ultimate sacrifice, but rather he was the ultimate of every life that was given. Because even when the lamb, when it was time to open the book in Revelation chapter 5 and the cry went out, 
and said, you know, who's worthy to open the book? Who's worthy to loose the seals in this book? There was searched in heaven, those that went to heaven, in earth, those that were still alive, under the earth, those that went to the regions of the lost. And there was nobody found worthy, not in any of those places. And John began to weep because that meant the book would remain sealed. But the book of our inheritance, the title deed, would not remain sealed. And the angel said to John, John, weep not, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to take the book and to loose the seals thereof. And John said, I turned to look at the lion. And he says, I saw a perfect lamb as it had been slain. I saw a lamb and he took the book and he opened the seals and then John began to rejoice. John began to be excited because now the one that was perfect had taken the book to redeem it back for humanity. All right. Now, listen, give me a few moments here. I'll read some things and then I'll close. Brother Branham says in, a, in Israel life worthy, he says Christ died that he might present himself before God a sacrifice. And return, and it returned back in the form of the Holy Spirit to reflect himself through his people to carry on his work. Reflecting himself through you to fulfill his promised word in these future days. And then he says, like John the Baptist. And we've talked about John the Baptist. How that, you know, John, when Jesus came to him and John says, I have need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, suffer that to be so. Just leave that alone. You know, that might seem to you like the perfect way, but there is a perfect answer to this situation, and that is that the sacrifice must be washed. In other words, John, it might seem by outward action that he that is greater would baptize he that is lesser. And as Jesus himself, I think, baptized his disciples. But yet in all of that now, John was looking for a baptism. But Jesus says, now leave that alone. Because what's more important than what you view as perfection, that is the perfection of the fulfillment of the word. The sacrifice must be washed. And you've been called for this purpose. And as long as you stay in your purpose, it's perfect. So John, just stay there and baptize me because you know that's the reason you're here baptizing. He said, I I was told of one in the wilderness that I would come down to the river and I would be baptized and, and there would come one and I would see the Spirit of God descending upon him. I was commissioned like this. This was my purpose in life. And for that cause, am I come baptizing, he says. That's the reason I'm not coming baptizing that you could be baptized or you could be baptized or you could be baptized. I come to baptize because he said I'd be baptizing when he came. I stayed in my purpose. I stayed in my place. And when he, the perfect one, came, he said, now it's just perfect. Everything is in its place. And the word came to the prophet. And the word was washed as the sacrifice, the lamb of God for the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, knowing that that man was genuine, Brother Brown says, he said, there's never been a man born of a woman like him. He's more than a prophet. If you can receive it, this is more than a prophet. Jesus looking into his heart and knowing that. Listen, by outward actions, John should have been baptized by Jesus. But by perfection, Jesus was baptized by John. All right. 
So he says, on the wings of a dove, he says, according to the word of God, the sacrifice had to be washed before it was presented. That's right. The lamb was washed and then presented for sacrifice. And I am the lamb of God and I must be washed before I can be presented to the world for a sacrifice. Brother Branham quoting the lamb. So the lamb had come to that time for presentation. Now we come to our time. Your time for presentation. Your time. What will you present before God? What will you, how will you give yourself? And who will this bride be in the sight of God? Brother Branham says in the token message, he says, full obedience to the whole word of God entitles us to the token. Then when we pray, we must have the token to present with our prayers. There's a presentation that must take place now. And that is that sons and daughters of God have received the life of Christ. And that life is on display in their lives. And Brother Brown, one place Brother Brown says the life has got to be on display in the supermarket. The life has got to be on display in the place of work. The life has got to be displayed over here and over there. Wherever you go, he says the life on display. He says it's not a person saying, well, I want to be a Christian, but you know, I, I really don't want anybody to know. It's somebody saying, no, I got a life in me and I don't care who knows it. There's something in me that's making me live this way that's greater than the world. As a matter of fact, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me than is in President Trump. Hello. Greater is he that's in me than's in Prime Minister um, Trudeau. Greater is he that's in me than is in the Vancouver Canucks. Greater is he that's in me than's in the Seattle Seahawks. Greater is he that's in me that's in... And I have to think, try to think of some rock and roll musician. I don't know. Uh, I would say Justin Bieber, but that's the only name I know. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in that person. Greater is he that's in me that's in some kind of Las Vegas thing. Greater is he that's in me that's in the, the manager of the greatest company in the world. Greater is he that's in me that's in Bill Gates. Greater is he that's in me. That's why Moses, God could say to Moses, Moses, you go down and present yourself before Pharaoh. And Moses said, who am I? That I would go before Pharaoh. But Moses didn't say that. Why? Because he had met God. On the backside of the desert in the, at the burning bush. And that God had put his word in Moses. And Moses knew that greater was he that was in him than he that was in Pharaoh. Hallelujah. And he can stand before Pharaoh knowing his place. Stand perfectly before God. There's nothing could hurt him because he was perfectly in the will of God. That's the life of the token in the believer. Knowing that God's in control of my footsteps. Doesn't matter what this one says. Doesn't matter what that one says. I'm not talking about going out in the flesh and being some kind of religious fanatic. I'm just talking about living the life. I live this way because there's a life in me. I tell the truth because there's a life in me. I live for the, for the things that are good because there's a life in me. I think on the things that are holy, things that are just, things that are of a good report because there's a life in me. The life in me is that token that has come on display. And then when you go to, we go to prayer, Brother Ram said, then you must present the token. Then you've got something to present, Lord. 
I had a day today and maybe I made some mistakes, but I'm not identified in those. Let those be under the blood. But I'm identified in the life that moves me to make those things right. I'm identified in the life that moved me today to consider the word. That moved me today to be in prayer for my son or my daughter. That moved me today to bring them by faith before this altar. By faith, I got my arms around my son. I got my arms around my daughter. They might not be here, but by faith, I'm holding them before you. By faith, I'm in your presence because of a perfect life that has come into me. It's not me, Lord. It's you. I got no good works that I can present. It's not, Lord, what I say about them. But, Lord, it's what your word says about them. And your word is perfect. Hallelujah. Brother Branham says, when we pray, we must present the token. Lord, I have, I have obeyed you fully. I've repented of my sins. I feel that you've forgiven me. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is upon me. Now I have need of a certain thing for your glory. Lord, I ask for it. It's mine now. Then there's something that anchors there. It says, Brother Brown makes a whistling sound. He says, it's yours. It's all over. It's all over and settled. You know it's yours. That's the way it is with our children and so forth. We apply the blood. Believe it. That's all. Amen. You are identified in your life by your sacrifice. What's your sacrifice this morning? I say my sacrifice is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only sacrifice I have to present to God. All these other things that maybe I've labored for God, that wasn't a sacrifice. That was out of love. That was a privilege to work for the kingdom of God. All the labors of getting into the word and studying the word, that was a blessing. That wasn't a sacrifice. But I have one sacrifice to present to God. Lord, I present that which was done at Calvary. The perfect Lamb of God. Now listen, I got one more quote to go through here. You still with me? All right. Remember, only one service today. Praise the Lord. You can go home and have a nap right after this service. I haven't even looked around to see if anybody's sleeping. That's all right. It doesn't make you any less than anybody else if you're sleeping. A predestinated seed is a predestinated seed. God's going to quicken his own. I don't know whose seed. The most fervent, outgoing person in this place might not be seed. And I'm not saying they aren't. I'm just saying it's none of my business. I just believe God. Amen. You just believe God. Hallelujah. You see, it can't be a fleshly thing of presenting the token. Because that would bring us back to Phariseeism. It's got to be from the heart. Brother Brown says in the message desperation, he says the life that was in Christ is the Holy Ghost, not the third person. But the same person in the form of the Holy Spirit. Coming upon you as a token that your life and your fare is paid and you have been accepted. Hallelujah. 
See, Brother Branham, in the beginning of desperation message, goes back to the token message. And you should read the, the first few pages of desperation as he refers to the token and brings out some things from the token. Says it was the greatest message so far. It was my, my capstone or however he referred to it. You go read it for yourself. He says, now there's no certain evidence. You say, Brother Branham, and then he says, I feel it in your minds, you see. He says, why will I know? Look, what were you and what are you? There's how you know. What was you before this token was applied? And what are you after it's applied? What was your desires before and what is your desires after? Then you know whether the token's applied or not. And not these other things just go, not these other things just automatically go with it. He says the token is Christ. But speaking in tongues, casting out devils, doing these other things, preaching whatever more is an evidence is there, but it's not it. It's a gift of it. All right. He says, now you say, Brother Branham, I says, I, I give you, I give you a gift. That's not me. That's my gift. Tongues is a gift to the Holy Spirit. He says, not the Holy Ghost. It's a gift to the Holy Ghost. He says the devil can impersonate any of those things. Excuse me. But he cannot be the Holy Ghost. He can impersonate gifts, but he can't be the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? All right. All right. The, the Holy Ghost is the token that the blood's been applied because it flo- follows the blood all the way from the book of redemption. That's the purpose of him coming. That's what he followed in every age. Every age he's followed that to see that it's brought forth. And they could, and they could not be made perfect without us. All right, now we're getting somewhere. He says all the things that he's done down through the ages in the church ages, he is now doing back to the word because the messages and the messages and the messages has to wind up in the entire word. And in the last days, the seven seals being opened was to pick up every straggle that's been left off in it and make the whole thing in one great big body of the bride. Hallelujah. And them who's lived back there was not perfect until this church will be perfected. The bridegroom in the last days to bring them in and all together be taken of. Amen. So what is he saying? There's a perfection that God has been doing in all the church ages from when Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect. Even as your father, which is in heaven, is perfect. And I will lead you to this perfection. And I will deal with you in this perfection. What is this perfection? It's the token on display. What is the token? It's full obedience to the word of God. We see that in Abraham's life. Coming from little isms and things coming through his life. Till finally God says, go sacrifice your son. And Abraham just says, amen. No argument no more. No disobedience no more. No human understanding anymore. Now just obedience to the word of God. The church gone down through seven church ages. Been gone through different isms and man-made isms and trying to live in a certain age and trying to live under a certain incomplete revelation of the word of God. But now in the last days, when all the loose ends is brought together, there'll be a bride that will bring all the imperfect into perfect view. Because there's got to be a bride in this age because there will be one final presentation. Do you know what that is? Brother Branham, or Brother Branham, <laughs> Brother Branham said too, I'm sure. But in the book of Ephesians, 
He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present himself to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hallelujah. All of the church down through the ages, right to this age, saying, I stand with the Lamb of God. That's my sacrifice. And in the end time, he brings that all to perfection and catches her away to present to himself now a bride. We say that's our perfection, but now he says, this is my perfection. Hallelujah. When we get on the other side, oh, won't it be a day as the musicians come when we get over yonder. Here she is, my bride, perfect in my own blood, a spotless people, a people that have come to perfect faith in a perfect word. Amen. In the last days, when the mysteries are made known, I'll send my prophet that he'll be a vessel that will loose the mysteries, not to glorify the prophet, to glorify the word. That the bride will say, that's the Lamb of God that I'm identified with. I'm not identified with anything else. I'm identified with the perfect Lamb of God. And he has fully revealed himself. And I say, Amen to every word of God. And that amen from the inside, not trying to put on the outside, but from the inside, that amen declaring my perfect faith in him. No wonder John cried out his praises in Revelation chapter 5. And all the earth heard me saying glory and honor and majesty unto the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lamb of God. Amen. No wonder when we get there on that day, we'll take our crowns that he gives us and we'll cast them at his feet because we know where our perfection came from. It came from him, the perfect sacrifice. Don't worry about your earthly life of your earthly mistakes. Brother Branham says in one place, And I'll just quote, as you can play, do you hear them coming? A glorious church. He says, don't worry about your mistakes. But I am worried about mistakes. I worry about them every day. Every time I make them, they worry me. Am I alone? No, we're all here, right? What do you mean don't worry about my mistakes? In other words, don't be identified in your mistakes, in your mind. Don't let that be your identification. He said, God knows you're just a man or a woman. He knows you're going to make them. And so he never based our salvation, nor our promises, nor our inheritance, nor any right that we have on our own works. Just like Abraham, he stood alone with the sacrifice and said, I make an unconditional covenant with you. And God made a covenant of grace with his bride. 
it's not you. It's what I did at Calvary. If you can stand every day by faith in what was done at Calvary, then you can say, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. I claim the blood that was shed at Calvary. I claim what God has already done for me. Let's stand together. I'm going to change it to I claim the blood. Hallelujah. I claim the blood. mistakes this morning renounce them say I don't stand on those things anymore I claim the blood that's my only claim this morning is the blood of Jesus Christ I'm not standing on my past as Paul I lay aside the things that are in the past I stand only on the merits of the blood of Jesus Christ Just raise your hands to him and make that your only claim this morning. I claim the blood. in Saskatchewan felt led to preach on divine healing felt that we just have a faith service belief for God's healing I asked the pastor and I said 
Do you know that church, or do you know that song I said, uh, I claim the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary? He says, no, I don't think I do. He turned to his song leader. He says, do you know that song? And she's, he says, no, I don't know that song. Okay, all right. I just want to know. I'm sitting in the office watching the monitor of the service, just a very rudimentary little black and white monitor. And they have a sister gets up, sings a special. She sings this song. I claim the blood Jesus shed in Calvary. And I thought, oh, that's nice. I know who the sister was, and I knew she's a real singer, so they must have asked her, you know, do you know that song? She asked, she knew it, so she got up and sang it. And I thought, oh, that's real nice that they would do that for the service. And I talked to the pastor afterwards, and and I said, you know, thank you for doing that, that having that sister sing that song and he said no we didn't ask her to sing that song he says I said you didn't the song leader didn't know the song leader didn't either he says I asked him because I was wondering about it too he says it was the Holy Spirit that led her to sing that song she just came to church and she felt for some reason I just need to sing this song God knows what he's doing maybe you just need to sing this song and say I just claim this blood I lay everything in the past. I lay down all the things that the devil's bothering me about. I don't stand before before God for anything. Whether you need healing, whether you need any other promise in the word fulfilled, you just need to raise your hands and say, Lord, I just claim the blood. That's all I present this morning. As the sons of God come to present themselves before the Lord, we present one thing, the perfect sacrifice. I claim the blood. Yes, Lord.
bow our heads together. Wonderful Heavenly Father, those bloodstains are everything to us, O oh God. Not just the, for the physical chemistry of it, Lord, but because, Lord, they represented that a life was loosed, a perfect life that could bring a church to perfection. That, Lord, you would come to the very end of redemption. And the entire church, by the end-time bride, standing on the Word of God, would be made perfect by our perfection. Completion, without blemish, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That washed in the water of Your Word, Lord, that You could stand and present us to Yourself and say, This is my perfection. Oh, Lord, truly it is your perfection, oh God. We lay down our mistakes. We lay down our humanity. We lay down even our own understanding, oh God. And Lord, our own guilt and our own pain for the past and the things, oh God, when we didn't even know you, before we were even saved, whatever more, Lord, we lay that all down this morning. And we present ourselves before you saying, Lord, we claim one thing. The perfect sacrifice that was made at Calvary. We have nothing else to claim but that and that alone. We claim it for sickness. Lord, let the sick be healed. We claim it for pain. Physical, emotional, mental. Lord, whatever it might be in the mind, we claim those blood stains. We claim it for everything that is a need in the body of Jesus Christ. We don't look at our weaknesses, nor at our lack of ability, but we look, oh God, at those bloodstains of the perfect Lamb of God at Calvary and say, Lord, those were made for us. That's our claim this morning as we stand in your presence. And you move through our midst. May you be able to say to the devil like you did in Job's day, consider my servant perfect. Consider this servant perfect. Consider that one perfect, perfect, perfect in all their ways, O oh God. Eschewing evil, believing you, O oh God. Hallelujah. We praise you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your mercies to us. For we claim only those precious bloodstains in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Do you love him? Oh, how I love him. But now we ought to sing, Do You Hear Them Coming, Brother? A glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Amen. Let's sing this joyfully, rejoicing. Hallelujah. With all of our hearts. Amen. Do you hear them coming, brother?
Aren't you glad for that? Give him a hand clap. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. And the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord with one sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. We are identified in that sacrifice. Amen. Isn't it good to be a part of this church? Not Cloverdale Bible Way, this church, the universal body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be a part of Cloverdale Bible Way too. Praise the Lord. Good to be here. Amen. Well, no service this evening. Wednesday night service, regular time, Friday night, there'll be a prayer meeting at 7.30. Amen. If the Lord tarries, if not, the soldiers will be gathering on the other side. Amen. God bless you. Shake one another's hand as you go. The service is dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.